Koinonia Christian Fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is community. I'm Tom Brown, and your host today is Pastor Mark Buckley. Welcome to Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley. I'm so glad that you're with us today. Uh, we're going to be having a special guest here on Koinonia. We're going to be talking about uh, addiction addicts, recovery, and especially to have wisdom for those whose family members are in substance abuse problems. My guest, Michael Speakman, has written a beautiful book about this subject. Um, the counseling, the education that's necessary, that's what he specializes in. Michael, so, so glad to have you with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Um, we're going to get your whole story in just a minute. Um, we're gonna, I want to find out what your background is personally. But before we do, tell us just a little bit about your book. What are some of the highlights of it? The book really uh, is summed up on the back cover uh, by saying, uh, there is no other human relationship like that between parents and child. Although parents have the most power and influence over their children, when addiction enters the picture, the situation mysteriously reverses. Now the child is in the driver's seat. Why does this happen? How does this happen? More importantly, what can be done about it? This book provides clear understanding of what you can do to best help your adult child and yourself. All right, and that's what we want to do because... Um when you say adult child, that those are loaded words. They're no longer kids. They are adults, but they act like children sometimes. Absolutely. Um, tell us your story. Start on your story, and then after our break, we'll get the, the rest of it. My, my story began, I grew up in the Phoenix area and was raised Catholic, and uh, I uh, had attained financial uh, wealth in my younger days, and at age 36, uh, because of the addictions that I was struggling with, I drove my wife away. Mm -hmm. She divorced me. And uh, when she uh, left and I knew she wasn't coming back, then I had all this emotional pain going on that I had no understanding of. So I attempted suicide. I, I did it with my car in my garage. I turned the car engine on and closed the garage door and laid down. Probably about three minutes. That scared me humble is what I tell mm -hmm. people. Because prior to that, I was not open to any kind of help. Um, after that event, I went to see a counselor, and it turned out to be a minister uh, who had left the ministry to counsel, and he helped me tremendously. Anyway, make a long story short, uh, 10 years after my wake-up call, I was working at the Salvation Army Adult Rehab Center on South Central, mm -hmm. helping other hopeless men who were going through this problem. And so that's that's my background in, in this field. So what kind of business were you in uh, prior to your divorce? I was in commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. And you did well. The Phoenix was booming. Yep. And, yep. and um, yet you tasted the emptiness of having a lot of money and having no family and no, no meaning and significance in your life. Huh? Absolutely. And I, I was sort of, I, had, I tell people I had the self-awareness of a gnat. Uh -huh. And so what happened was, I had no idea I was going to have those feelings when she left me, mm -hmm. but I had sort of made her my everything. And then at the same time, uh, went around and just lived like I was a, a 15 year old or 18 year old doing whatever I wanted to do yeah. and justifying it. So how did your addiction start? I mean, you didn't start be, as an addict. It, it's something that, that you grow into, right? Yeah. I started drinking pretty heavy, um, and uh, and not not in high school because it wasn't as quite as available. But I I was drinking then and got real heavy 
when I reached 18 and, and was on my own and I could do whatever I wanted to. So uh, and then I started chasing women mm-hmm. and gambling too and that carried over into my marriage. Uh, yeah, so. people don't realize just because you get married, those behaviors don't necessarily stop. You Absolutely. Know? That's why it's so dangerous for a woman to marry a guy who you can already tell has got some issues that haven't been dealt with. I think she thought she could help me. Yeah. yeah I think she believed that. Yeah. That's a prescription for disaster. Yeah. My guest is Michael Speakman. We're going to continue finding out more about uh, the insight he's learned for the parents of alcoholics and addicts. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Discover your role in rebuilding a broken nation with the Kingdom Citizen Collection from Focus on the Family. Dr. Tony Evans' book, Kingdom Citizen, a subscription to Citizen Magazine, a CD and download of Voting as a Kingdom Citizen, and your family's election activity kit are all included. Go online now to order yours, faithtalk1360.com. This is Koinonia. This is Community. I am Tom Brown, and your host today is Pastor Mark Buckley. Welcome back to Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley from Living Streams. I'm glad to have you with us today. We're going to get some insight into um, the adult children who are actually addicts and and what can be done. Michael, um, did you have children yourself? Yes. Continue on with your story. Yeah, I had two children. I still have two children. They were around 11 and 12, a, a boy and a girl at that time. Mm-hmm. And after the divorce, we had uh, joint custody. So they lived with me for a while, and then they lived with their mom for a while. And the counseling, my recovery came through counseling rather than the 12-step program. Uh, and uh, through the counseling, as I was learning, I was learning some things about myself, of course, about emotions and feelings. And uh, But I was also learning that... Uh, I had a dad who had a problem um, that he wasn't really available very much. Uh, he worked all the all hours and stuff. And so one of the things I learned in counseling was to let my children get to know me. And I didn't even understand what the counselor meant when he told me that. But mm-hmm. uh, as soon as I understood that, and that was uh, at some time during my, my uh, I, <laughs> I had money. I, I was spending it on counseling and meetings and groups and I was really determined to to work on myself and so I remember going home and telling my uh, my kids that when I was their age I used to uh, cut school I would call up uh, uh, make crank phone calls uh, Mm -hmm. ring doorbells they were just shocked and amazed that I was telling them this and it began a a new relationship with them in other words you let the barrier down you didn't pretend that you were the perfect guy and they needed to just change their behavior they let they got to see your your real heart and past. Absolutely, and it, it was a surprise to me, the concept of when the counselor said, did your dad let you get to know him? And I was like, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. And uh, and my dad didn't talk much except to give orders and tell you what to do and what you did wrong and that kind of thing. And But I found out later that he had a horrible upbringing from an alcoholic father mm-hmm. that he never talked about. I found that out from my grandma later, years, many years yeah. later. That's one reason why the Lord tells us to honor our father and mother, because mm-hmm. first of all, they're all imperfect. Um, and I believe the 
the, the one of the reasons many of them have issues is those issues have been passed down from generation to generation. And most people say, well, I'm doing better than my dad did or mom did, therefore I'm a good person. But that's not really the issue. The issue is uh, God has given us these complex, co complex powerful relationships. Yeah. And if we can humble ourselves and, and honor an imperfect person, then we can maybe discover the puzzle pieces that will enable us to... Um, heal some relationships, and it becomes a benefit for all of our other relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you were going to counseling. You started letting your kids get to know you, and what happened? And uh, then I was just spending the money I had made in real mm -hmm. estate, not working, mm -hmm. but I was educating myself, uh, not through college, but through going to workshops, mm -hmm. and uh, I did volunteer work, and... Um, I was, I was preparing myself for what I didn't even know I was preparing. God was guiding me the whole time. So uh, I, I volunteered at places, and then um, and around the 10-year point, so that would have been around 19, because 1978 is when I had my wake-up call at age 36. And so there I am at, at 1988, and at the very beginning of 1988, things started happening. Number one, I ran out of money, mm -hmm. and I was uh, you know, going for bankruptcy. Number two, I went to a church uh, seminar on Discover Your Passion, mm -hmm. and God started working little miracles. And I met a lady there who helped me uh, get a resume because I was trying to get a job in counseling at that mm -hmm. point. And I had no, uh, no degree, and I had no, um, formal training. no formal training or no, no formal experience I could count on. So I really didn't believe it was, was going to happen. But she worked for Salvation Army at that time and one day called me and said, why don't you come down for an interview? I said, they're not going to hire me. Anyway, I went down there and surprise, surprise, they hired me. And there's where my education began. And there's also where I had my, found my connection with God. And that mm -hmm. was a period of time of where I was overwhelmed with the number of clients uh, that I had to work with. I didn't have time. Uh, I had uh, like 70 guys on my caseload and Salvation Army didn't have the money for, for the, to pay very much. So, but God was teaching me, and at a certain point, I started noticing coincidences and, mm -hmm. and God incidences. Yeah, yeah, that life isn't an accident. These are Absolutely. divine appointments. Huh? Way too many coincidences that were like winning the lottery, the, yeah. the odds against them. I started praying in my counseling sessions after about mm -hmm. three years. I was going to the services there, and, and in one of the services, I just gave my heart to God, and I said, that's, mm -hmm. that's it. And everything started being easier. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not easy. Yeah, yeah, but, field, but you weren't fighting it anymore. I wasn't fighting it. I, had, I didn't even know I had surrendered. And mm -hmm. I, I'm such a scientific-minded guy that, mm -hmm. that my faith had to sneak up on me that way. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and then I started uh, having the guys I worked with uh, pray as well. And, uh, and it's a Christian program, of course, at Salvation yeah. Army. But um, then uh, working there, I wound up working there for about nine or 10 years and then went to Northern California and worked in the Salvation Army Center up there. Where at? Up near, um, it's actually in uh, an area they call Lytton Springs, which is outside of, uh, of uh, it's north, about 13 miles north of Santa Rosa. Okay. But it was on 600 acres of beautiful country. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there I was put in a higher position of, of a... Of, clinical director there, which I didn't think I could do. But once again, God was guiding me. And uh, so here I'm learning about addiction and I'm, and I'm doing family education 
at the treatment centers. You're seeing how the whole family dynamics absolutely, are working, huh? Absolutely, absolutely. And so I started doing the, in California, I started doing it on a regular basis there. And then in, in the year 2000, I moved back to Phoenix. During this time, I had a girlfriend, and we almost got married, and it was a long story. But uh, I moved back to Phoenix in 2000 once again. God moved his hand, and I interviewed at Calvary Addiction Recovery Center mm-hmm. and, uh, and got a job there part-time then I went full-time and so there they said Mike take over our family group which I did and uh, I began to and I was also counseling uh, full-time counselor for inpatient uh, clients there and but I was really getting more involved with the families and I began to notice patterns and I began to notice that we were educating uh, family members but parents were the ones who were hopeless Uh, you know we didn't have hopeless brothers and sisters they were obviously upset over yeah. the history of uh, the addiction that causes a lot of wreckage in the family to everybody. Everyone's negatively affected by the addict, the alcoholic. And I began to notice, and the ideas came to me of that parents needed something extra, something special. And uh, somewhere around 2003, I thought, we need a group uh, because parents need to learn some things that you just can't learn them by going to a seminar at a, yeah. at a treatment center. And um, so I had the idea to start this group. So let's let's start talking about some of those principles that you based the yeah. group or, or that came out you, that you discovered. Just just list some truths that you think are foundational that parents need to know when one of their kids is addicted. Well, the key thing is uh, the word adult comes in there because if we look at it, when is a uh, a boy a man and mm-hmm. when is a girl a woman in our culture? pretty cut and dry at age 18. Mm-hmm. The question is, are they emotionally ready uh, for the rigorous uh, challenges of adulthood? And so that's what began to be clear to me was our culture has no structured rite of passage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's kind of unclear when is a boy a man, when is, you know, yeah. and it's unclear for the parents. So as it turns out, if there's no clarity, then the parents are not going to allow the, uh, the child to become an adult uh, other than by actions, but not emotionally. Mm-hmm. And that's what I found was uh, that the hopelessness was based on the parents not allowing uh, unintentional consequence, their uh, adult children to move into responsible adult living. And they did that by still taking care of them as if they were a child, paying everything for them, mm-hmm. taking care of them as if they were still a child. And uh, because the treatment centers I worked with were always for adults, that means 18 yeah. and up. Yeah. So uh, what happens, I began to notice this, and I began to start teaching some of the parents about this, and it opened up. uh, So one of the foundational principles is whatever you allow will continue. Mm -hmm. So if you continue to treat them like they're 15, they're going to continue to act act like like it. So, okay, let me give you pushback because Mm -hmm. the the first thing the parent's going to say is, well, what do you expect me to do? Throw them out on the street and they can die. Exactly. That is the fear of every parent. Mm -hmm. And we're not saying to throw them out on the street and they could die. But I've had way so many calls over the years uh, in my private practice, which I work with parents, uh, so many calls where parents have called and they've come home and tripped over their son or daughter at home. They used it. 
and OD'd at home. And so, died right there. Yeah. Right there. So one, one principle is you cannot save them from themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and these principles are hard to accept in a culture. Our culture is blind to the need of a rite of passage, blind mm-hmm. to the structure of it. And uh, so I'm not against our culture, but just uh, saying the main point I want to say to parents are that if you've got a long journey that's been, you know, kind of a long journey with your adult son or daughter, there's a really good chance that it's going to be helpful for you to learn about rite of passage issues yeah. because they intersect and inter- interact with the addiction very so, powerfully. Okay, so very would you tell the parent that um, you realize this is a very codependent relationship, the, yeah. the the adult child has never really grown up. Where do you start? Do you start by saying, in this house, you're going to do your dishes, you're going to do some chores? Where, where, where do you well, start with That's the a good question because it's really an overwhelming uh, situation is really what it is. And, um, and being an overwhelming situation like that, it's uh, there, where do we start exactly? Yeah. So that's one of the reasons I started the POW group. So one thing I will tell parents when they're first starting is go to a POW meeting. We've got about 17 around the valley right now, mm-hmm. and we're in 14 other states or 15, whatever it is, other states. And POW stands for? Parents of Addicted Loved Ones. Okay. And it's a support group run by parents for mm-hmm. parents, and there's no charge for it. And it's rather than a 12-step model, it's an educational model. Mm-hmm. And there's things that they can learn and uh, about how do I adjust my parenting style. So we're, so we're very clear about the fact there's nothing wrong with your existing parenting style. We're just adding a chapter to the existing yeah. good parenting style. All righty. Well, my guest is Michael Speakman. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. We're going to continue gaining some wisdom about how to deal with addicted adult children. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. In his brand new book, Searching the Scriptures, Pastor Chuck Swindoll shows you how to take your study of God's Word to the next level, and we've arranged for you to get a free chapter right now. Go online, faithtalk1360.com to read Chuck's recipe for getting the most out of your Bible study, faithtalk1360.com. Good afternoon. This is Koinonia. This is Community. I am Tom Brown. And, of course, your host today from Living Streams Church, Pastor Mark Buckley. Welcome back. I'm Mark Buckley at Koinonia here, and we're going to be continuing this discussion to find out how you can responsibly help your child when your child has grown up, but their behavior patterns are crazy. Michael, let me just ask you, what if this addicted uh, loved one is no longer living with you and yet your heart's breaking because of their patterns of behavior? Yeah, good question. And once again, it depends on on the situation. If you're still helping them financially, like paying for their rent, paying for their cell phone, we call those strings. Mm -hmm. And the problem with the strings are the financial help. When the addict is using, they are looking for money 
uh, to buy the drugs and to save up the drugs and then to yeah. use the drug, you know, the whole cycle. So even if you uh, pay the rent for them and the money doesn't All go that with does them, just freeze them up. Freeze up the money to buy the drugs. Yeah. So parents are learning um, to some some key things along the way, and one of those key things is to cut the strings, mm-hmm. but to do it in a certain way that acknowledges the, the addict and treats them like an adult. Okay, give us an example. Example would be if if I'm paying your cell phone because uh, you're on my uh, if you're my son, you're on my plan. Yeah paying your cell phone you're supposed to pay me but you don't sometimes yeah. you do then i say you know it's been it's been uh, suggested that i get you on your own plan mm-hmm. that way i can't monitor who you're calling yeah and manipulate you that way and you and i don't have to worry about you paying it so what if we took you down to a, a store that you chose and then we get your name on your own plan mm-hmm. and then we would pay for the first two or three months for you as a gift Mm-hmm. That cuts the string because what makes a string a string is the never-endedness of it. Yeah. So what you're saying is um, you're weaning them off. Exactly. And you're allowing them to have consequences. Yes. And what if they say, okay, let's use car payments for yeah. an example. And um, and uh, they say, well, if I don't have a car, then I can't get to work, and then I'm going to lose my place. And, and they start giving you all that. Yeah kind of garbage one of the handouts we have is called gems g-e-m-s which are statements that are practicing treating your adult son or daughter as an adult mm-hmm. and for that specific purpose and one of them is i'm sorry to hear that mm-hmm. another one is you know what i believe in you so much that you can handle this yourself that if i paid it for you i would be eroding your self-esteem <laughs> you know that that's a good line i like that because Basically, when you're continuing to treat them like they're an irresponsible teenager, your message is, if I don't help you, you have no way of helping yourself. Exactly. And that really is a real negative thing. Now, um, have you experienced parents that, that did it right, cut them the kid off, and the kid gets loses their house whatever and 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 uh, what happens then do they die on the streets first of all what i've told parents is very few people die on the streets of phoenix arizona because they don't have a house because you can live through every winter night or you can go down to you know salvation army or calvary and check yourself in or you can go down to Cass and find a, a bed in their homeless shelter you know yeah, that's the, that's a good point. And once again, yes, they will find those resources when they have to. Right. And that's one of the things that uh, the purpose of the rite of passage is for me to accept my adulthood and find the strength that's within me that could only come out if I'm put in a situation where I don't think I have it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what you want to do then is help parents to understand that what you're doing in the name of love isn't really loving because you're not helping them. And yeah, and we try to we try to be real careful about not blaming the parents. I mean, not that that's blaming them, but what happens is uh, if I help you in the short term, I might be hurting you in the long term. Right. And my motive is love, but my motive is also controlling, and it harkens back to when you were a child, uh, and I did have that responsibility for you. So it's it's just the perfect storm because of our culture, I'm not letting you move on into responsible adulthood, and you're not moving on to responsible adulthood because you're afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason you're afraid of it is you have doubts that you'll be successful. And part of the reason why you have so many doubts is because as parents, we have doubts too. 
So there is your perfect storm. Children need to hear from their parents. We believe in you, regardless of your past experience. We believe that you will beat your problem someday with us or without us. Right, right. That's a, that's definitely an important message. Now, I think it's really important if you go all the way back. If I'm talking to parents, I'll tell parents, make sure your child gets a job. The, the, the idea that your kid should go off to college and you should pay all their bills mm-hmm. and they don't have to work while they go to college, that's ludicrous, in my opinion. You can partner with them to help them so they don't have massive debt, but they need, you know, College is not really a full-time job. I mean, you're taking 15 units of college. They, they, if all they're doing is 15 units, they're just going to party the rest of the time if, unless they have a reason to have to pull some of their own weight. Yes, and college is one of those things in our culture that we consider that's part of rite of passage. Mm-hmm. And yet college does not teach life skills. Right, you know. or moral principles for exactly. the most part, or they'll teach the wrong moral principles. Exactly. So a lot of people will abuse drugs and alcohol and party in college, mm-hmm. but about 20% will not move on. And those are the 20% that don't move on that can be targeted, to, hey, you need help. Right. And right now there is a movement in our country that's, that's been going on for the past 10, 15 years called uh, recovery programs, collegiate recovery programs. Mm-hmm. And it's really a good thing where they can get help and stay on, at the college and work a program while they're going through college. I think one of the most uh, dangerous things perpetrated in America right now is the idea that legalizing marijuana is going to make our uh, society better. The reason I think that's completely erroneous is the very issues we're talking about. It will just perpetuate irresponsible behavior, do brain damage in 16 to 19-year-old young men, and uh, lead many of them into harder drugs, help none of them get better jobs. Another principle that I think is important is that it's very important for uh, somebody to be on their own two feet before they get into their 30s. The longer they are dependent on their parents, if they go all the way into their 40s or their 50s, now you've got a whole lifestyle. Now you've you've really got an adult that has never accomplished anything. They need to get moving from the time they're 18, and it needs to be a weaning so that you don't you're not paying their bills when they're in their 30s or 40s. Good point. My second book that I'm working on now uh, is aimed at parents of adolescents, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the previous book, which is for parents of adult children. And the one aimed for adolescents is called How to, this is the working title, How to Help Drug Proof Your Child. Yeah. And basically it will be about uh, helping them learn adult coping skills and practice those at, in their adolescence before they're put on the spot where, hey, in one moment at midnight on your 18th birthday, there you go. You have yeah. all these all these privileges as an adult, no period of adjustment, no period of practice. And, uh, and so, once again, that's the whole major, ma- uh, major point of PAL is this issue of rite of passage, which is virtually invisible in our society, mm-hmm. is as big an issue as the addiction itself. You know, I want to go back for a minute to what the um, counselor suggested to you early on, which is let your children get to know you. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that a lot of addiction is covering up the pain of failure, of sin, of, of inability to communicate. And I think 
if a, a dad or a, and a mom are able to talk about their own feelings, talk about their own struggles, talk about their own failures with their kids, then it gives the kids an access into a kind of communication that has some depth in it and gives them more potential to be able to communicate with their peers in a healthy way. Exactly. It, it is. But it's a lot to ask parents to do, uh, because especially these days when parents are working two and three jobs and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, it's just a big challenge for our whole, our whole culture. Uh, but the thing about the life skills is parents have learned life skills through experiences, mm-hmm. but to expect them to sort of distill down those experiences and teach their children is really too much to, to uh, expect. A hundred years ago, we were, 90% of us, uh, population of the America, lived in farming communities. See, the whole village mm-hmm. were teaching the boy to be a man and the girl to be a, a woman through teachable moments. That's what we gradually lost when we industrialized. So that's the theory behind this whole thing. We gradually lost something that was undocumented and uh, undescribed, mm-hmm. but was always there in previous generations. And we gradually lost it. And so we lost time, opportunity, and permission. When I was in Ecuador recently, there's a bad economic situation down there. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I noticed was everybody was working at something. Mm-hmm. Even if they were selling newspapers or shining shoes or selling gum or selling sparklers, mm-hmm. because there's no you know, welfare net. There's no... Yeah parents just guaranteeing i mean you don't work you don't eat and even in the bible that's what it says in second thessalonians if a man won't work he shouldn't eat in other words we can't it's not christian love to be doing for somebody else what god told them to do for themselves because dignity comes from work absolutely but the message is kind of sometimes uh misinterpreted by our adolescents. See, one of the things about adolescents is they they love rebellion. They re, mm-hmm. they just romanticize rebellion. So part of what we're teaching then and what I teach in my private practice and, uh, and in the book, of course, and in the PAL groups is that when we tell a person we're not going to give you money for this, it's because we believe in you as opposed to because you're such a mess up and you've mm-hmm. done all these bad things. That's why we're not paying. I'm not saying that can't work. Uh-huh. But I think that's what's kind of missing in our culture is our children are looking to us to give them uh, a reflection like a mirror. Mm -hmm. We believe in you more than you believe in yourself. Yeah. And it's hard to do that when they act the way they're doing. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Michael Speakman is my guest. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Stream. Stay tuned. We're going to continue this discussion on helping adult children who are addicts recover, get healthy. And stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Encounter Phoenix is a worship conference that has a heart to inspire and affirm worship teams in the Phoenix Valley. As worship leaders, your job is not simply musical in nature. It is to provide an atmosphere where people encounter the presence and power of God. If you love worship, whether as a leader or a participant, 
Go online to EncounterPHX.org for more information and registration. That's EncounterPHX.org. Now let's return to Koinonia with your host today, Pastor Mark Buckley. Welcome back to Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley. Michael Speakman is my guest. Um, Michael, you mentioned these PAL groups. Um, they're parents getting together to help their loved ones and to learn and to grow. Tell us a little more about them. Yes, the PAL group is run by parents who uh, are uh, facilitators. They go through a facilitator training. And um, about a year and a half ago, uh, about 12 of our volunteer parents got together and formed a nonprofit corporation. Mm -hmm. And information about PAL is on the website, palgroup.org. And if you go there, then you'll see where our meetings are, find out about uh, the times and the locations. But initially, when I started the group, I was running everything. And then I realized uh, we, this is getting big and parents need to take it over and parents need to run it, not a counselor run it. Have you found some real fruitfulness or some of the parents pretty gifted in what they're doing? Absolutely. And what they're doing is they're sharing their own personal experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, we turned 10 years old. Pal was 10 years old this year. And so the base continues to grow. For instance, in Indiana, we have five meetings there now, and we started out with just one about three years ago. Congratulations. It, it, yeah, it's, it's growing, but it's growing because the need is there. And the parents listening to other parents. Uh, mm-hmm. Initially, when a parent comes to the meeting for the first time, they're hesitant to go to someplace they've never heard of or been. Uh, but typically, they've heard from someone else to, to try it. And one of the things they find out right away, and this is the foundational message of PAL, mm-hmm. number one, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Number two, and they find out when they walk into a meeting and see all these other people here. And number two, there is hope. Mm-hmm. And that hope will come from you reaching out of your own limited knowledge base, which as a parent, we're supposed to know all this stuff for our kids. <laughs> a lot of mm-hmm. pressure on us as parents to, uh, to be all and end all for all the issues of our children. So when they go to a meeting, they realize there is a curriculum to this. And by the way, the book, uh, the book, The Four Seasons of Recovery, has that curriculum in it. But so does the handouts that we use there, the education. We have nine educational handouts. So in the meetings, uh, we'll be discussing a topic that's designed to educate. And then also talk about, uh, individuals can talk about what's, what's happening, what's going on. And get suggestions from one another that, that has been worked. Uh, that has worked for them in their life. So one of the things that... Um, and prayer. Don't let me forget prayer. Yes. <laughs> one of the things that is very difficult is uh, speaking into the life of an addict when you know they don't want to hear what you're about to say. And what do you recommend to parents? Should they just say, I'm concerned about you, I notice you've been drinking, or your eyes look glazed over, or you're not working, or how do they bring it up, and how far do they push it? This is one of the things they're learning, is we call it rite of passage talk Mm -hmm. and practice scripts, because a big part of it is how you talk differently to an adult than you'd talk to a child. Mm -hmm. And it has to be learned and practiced. And so one one of the shorthand things is for them to say, I wish I could save you, I wish I could help you, but I'm not a professional. Mm-hmm. So let me know when you have found professional help, and then I may be able to help you financially. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you want to step in when they're making the steps in the right direction. You come alongside when they're making steps in the right right direction. Absolutely. One of the things we have is a card that has 14 reminders for parents on it, which are sayings. 
And one of them is what, uh, when I step back, then he can step up. Mm -hmm. And another one says, what you allow is what will continue. So they're just little words of wisdom that I may forget in times of stress and, and and drama that's going on with my child. So did, did were any of your kids addicts? Good question. No, but they did have other problems, mm-hmm. uh, and especially my daughter. But uh, we worked through those. And again, another reason another reason why I should not be mm-hmm. a facilitator of a, of a parent support group, all our facilitators are parents or spouses of, uh, of uh, addicts or alcoholics. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things is Jesus didn't, commit any sin, but he was pretty good at helping people get set free from it. So <laughs> I've <laughs> committed so many sins. <laughs> right. And I was really good at it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, obviously parents feel some guilt. They think, oh, if only I had done this differently um, or if only um, they hadn't been divorced or if, you know, if only, if only, and they, because of the guilt over the past, mm-hmm. oftentimes they're not taking appropriate action in the present. Exactly. And there's plenty in the Bible about not looking backwards, but rather looking mm-hmm. forwards. But we recommend every family member, every parent, and by the way, the meetings are open to everyone. Uh, they're specifically designed for parents and spouses who can benefit because invariably the addicted spouse will act like a child and put the non-addicted spouse into the parental role, whether they like it or not. Mm-hmm. So they can be helped as well. But uh, we refer everyone or we recommend that they go to counseling and they can work on those guilt issues mm-hmm. because as they, as they get more inner peace by working on their own issues, that transmits down to a little more inner peace in their addict and alcoholic, which then reduces their desire for drugs. What's interesting to me is that um, if you're willing to get help, uh, it, like you said, your kid may not be willing to get help, but if you're willing to get help, it can make the situation better, right? I mean, Absolutely. God honors any movement Absolutely. where we humble ourselves and seek wisdom. I mean, you, you spent all the money you had saved up, but in one sense, the Lord used that to bring you into the career that was really your true calling. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, we have little sayings and one of those say, and we repeat these sayings because it takes repetition and, mm-hmm. and, and reinforcement to change old habits. But one of them that, uh, that we like to say is that, uh, uh, you know, we recommend they go to Al-Anon meetings, Naranon meetings, and there they, they will say, you know, you didn't cause it, you can't control it, um, and you can't uh, cure it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we tell parents, go work on your guilt issues because if you had known what you know now, you would have done differently. Mm-hmm. But the only thing you're guilty of is in these modern times, raising children the way you were raised, uh, that's the only thing you're guilty of. And by the way, that works really well with a lot of people, but it doesn't work well with a certain segment of population that happens to be uh, the child that you have. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing is you can do well with one child and not so and another child in the same family with the same DNA has a whole different set of problems and issues, right? Absolutely. And one of the concepts is uh, that about 10 percent of the population has the genetic predisposition for addiction to alcohol or drugs. Mm-hmm. That means the other 90 percent is either not using anything or doing it, quote unquote, recreationally or normally. Yeah or abusing, yet still not addicted. Yeah. And so there's some confusion about those last right, two. Right, right. Yeah. How, how important do you think it is for, 
if the you've got a child that's an addict, how is important it is is it for the parent to say, I'm not going to drink wine or beer or anything like that? That's one of those wise suggestions when someone gets out of treatment mm-hmm. or is in recovery. It's just common sense to, yeah. if you're able to do that, to do that. It's very helpful yeah. to do that. Not everybody does that, uh, but uh, it's, a, it's one of those practical suggestions. Yeah, to create a better environment. Absolutely. A sober living environment, yep. so, so yep. to speak. Um, well, Michael, you've been doing a lot of things, and, and you've been a founder, you've been a, a dad, you've been in recovery yourself from some of your own issues. Um, do you still get tempted to drink yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I how do. do you deal with it? Just give it to God. Just give it to God. And you have quiet time with the Lord? Do you read your Bible and have prayer times? And- <laughs> you know... <laughs> Not only do I do that, but I, I like to share this with my clients. Uh, someone shared this. So many uh, good uh, Christian people shared stuff with me and helped me with my second mm-hmm. growth spurt uh, and my, my uh, spiritual recovery. Um, and that is to, uh, when I go to sleep at night, uh, I have this prayer, Lord, please take control of my dreams mm-hmm. and use them to help heal me. And uh, so I recommend that prayer mm-hmm. to parents who are hurting as well, because we recommend they get healing for themselves, that they get healing for themselves and that healing for themselves, whatever that's going to be, they get to pick it. But by picking no healing of any kind, that's their, that's their role model to their, to their child. Yeah. So they need to set the example. Absolutely. Now, one of the concerns obviously is marijuana today is probably 10 times more potent than it was 30 years ago. And, um, 30 years ago, they didn't have the kind of crack and the kind of opioids that are out there today. There are so many things that are so powerful that mm-hmm. can truly destroy a person. Um, then addicts, they will lie. They will steal. They will rip off even their own parents, won't they? Yep, yep. It's really, it really makes the point that addiction is not about the drug so much as it is about the person's whole life. Mm-hmm. No one continues to use drugs who has the hope for a better life. So for whatever reasons, they do not believe that they either deserve or can have a, a successful uh, uh, life that feels good to them. I'm looking for the right word yeah. here. Satisfying life, fulfilling life. And they're surrounded by so many parents, uh, so many adults, I should say, and parents, who may have a very unsatisfying life. And there's the role models for us. Mm -hmm. So it really, uh, we really need to listen to God who wants us to have more enjoyment in our life, more joy, more peace in our life. Right. And and, and again, it's a wake-up call to our whole culture. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And what I said earlier about why it's so important for a young person to get work skills is when you have positive reinforcement for proper behavior, yeah. it's fulfilling. Yeah. It's better than a high from drugs. Drugs is an art, are, give you an artificial sense that you've done a good day's work, but if you actually do a good day's work, it's fulfilling. Drugs give you a sense that you won the game, but if you actually go out and compete and win a game, it's more fulfilling. That's why, a very good point, because there's really a cultural lesson here. 
And if we had a person who was a presidential candidate in the third party and said, I'm going to push for universal service like they have in Israel. Yeah. Everyone at 18 goes for two years. Uh, I would t- I would work so hard for that person, whoever that would be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, stay tuned. My guest is Michael Speakman. We're going to be right back with more of Koinonia after this message. up our program now. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams, and if you ever want to visit us at Living Streams, we're on the corner of Central and Glendale in Phoenix. We've got services at 9.15 and 11 a.m. Look us up on the web at livingstreams.org. We'd love to have you come and visit us. Um, Michael Speakman is my guest, and he's got these um, great groups for parents who have kids that are alcoholics or addicts, even adults kids. They could be in their 30s and 40s, right, Michael? 50s and 60s even. Tell us how uh, somebody could get involved in one of these groups, and can they just drop in one time, even if they're not sure they're going to want to keep coming back? Absolutely. So I want to repeat the website again. It's pal, P-A-L, group.org, palgroup.org, and all the information of locations and times of our meetings are there, and anyone can just show up. Now, one of the things I've noticed is that sometimes, especially when there's been a broken home and a remarriage that um, the parents are divided in terms of their response to the kid and how to, you know, at what point to cut them off financially, at what point, how much money you give them in their new apartment and all that kind of stuff. Quite common. Very, very common. In fact, you could say in every case, an addicted adult child will tend to put pressure to split the marriage, Mm -hmm. even if the marriage is together. And if it's been already split and there's a divorce, then it has to do with how well they get along. Ideal situation is everyone in authority position is on the same page. Yeah. So going And to you counsel- have to work. I mean, my wife and I, when one of our daughters got into trouble, um, it almost divided us, you know, even though we both are the natural biological parents and we had a good marriage. Thanks so much, Michael, for being with us. Well, thanks for having me here. And I would just uh, encourage everybody. Uh, to keep getting help for yourself, even if your son or daughter is not. Amen. Keep growing. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Let him reveal himself to you and find the joy of the kingdom of God in your life because it's available. Jesus did succeed in opening up heaven for us. I'm Mark Buckley. Thanks for being with us today on Koinonia. Koinonia.